I put out a message this past week about how since Ricky is going to be devoting the majority of the 1050 sermons for the first part of the year on lessons relating to leadership as his congregation makes the transition into adding potential shepherds and then deacons to this congregation, I sent a message out that if anyone had any questions or anything that they would like to study, things that perhaps we could devote our 9 o'clock hour to, to send them on. And you all answered in abundance. We have a lot of things that you all are curious about. And one of the things that came up, in fact, from several different sources, was just a general understanding of, of why do we do what we do. We might use the word authority. That is probably a greater, broader term for all of this. But that's what I want to talk about, and not just today. I I have the feeling that Ricky and I are probably going to come back to this subject multiple times throughout the year, which is why I wanted to start here. I wanted to start perhaps with a a very fundamental, very basic, very beginning step in understanding why it all matters. Because every generation, every young generation, or every new generation is going to wrestle. It's going to have the challenge of asking the question, Why does it all matter? And so this past week, we were playing the classic game at our house of Monopoly, one of the versions of it. Ricky and I were talking earlier this week, you never use the words never and always. But with Monopoly, there is never a short game, and always someone leaves upset. That's just the reality of when you play the game. There's this never and always with the game. Well, when you play for one of the first times, and you get something like you get that property that costs a lot of money and your children land on that spot and you say, all right, you owe me $500. And they say, well, why? Because that's how you play the game. Well, I don't have the money. Well, then you're going to go to jail. Well, why? Because that's how you play the game. Or you land on the chance place, you have to go back three spaces. Well, I don't want to go back three spaces. Well, you have to. That's the rules of the game. Or you are going to jail and you don't get to get money. You don't get to go around and go. I don't understand why. Well, because that's the rules of the game. Well, I don't like those rules. Well, then we need to pick a different game. (laughs) Can you see? Some of the most fundamental questions are what every generation are going to ask. And this is really important. Because think of other avenues. Why does it matter if we obey mom and dad, if children obey their parents? Why does it matter if we obey the civil authorities, obey the speed limits, pay our taxes? Why does it matter if we listen to our teachers? or elders, or principals in schools. And then this is where we are. In the realm of spiritual discussions, why does it matter what I do as a child of God day by day? On the Monday to Saturday routine, why does it matter what I do? Does it matter what I do? Why does it matter what we do as a local church? Does it matter what we do, how we worship, how we work, how, we, how we're organized? Now here's the reality. The challenging question of each new generation is but a responsibility for the older generation to provide the answer. And that answer must always go back to the Word of God. And so we're in, in Matthew 21 today to begin our look at this. In Matthew 21, Jesus is in the temple, and some of the religious authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees, come with a question to Jesus. In fact, they come with a series of questions, and their questions are not given out of curiosity. The questions are given out of, a, out of the attempt to catch him to criticize and condemn Jesus. But even though their questions aren't pure, the motives aren't pure, they form as an excellent foundation as to answering the question, why does it all really matter? Why do rules matter? Why do following the rules matter? Matthew 21, beginning of verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? 
Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we, we do not know. And he also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. A couple of excellent questions, just to observe right off the page. First of which, you, you realize that they understood that we need authority to do things. They asked the question, by what authority are you doing these things? And so authority in one sense can be understood as the right or permission by which we do something. And they understood if you don't have authority, if you're acting on your own permission or your own will, oftentimes that finds yourself in the wrong. And so authority can also be understood then as the standard the standard of rules set up by which we all apply, are submitting, are governed by. For instance, some of you today are maybe going to watch a football game. Imagine if there are no rules on that football game. The Dallas Cowboys, I don't even know if they're playing today, are going to say, we're not going to pay attention to the out-of-bounds, to the first-line markers. We're going to bring out our hockey sticks. We're going to do we if you take away the rules, you don't have the game. What happens if we go to the store after services today and we put down a $20 bill for whatever it is we're paying for and they say, well, that $20 bill doesn't mean $20 to us at this store. That $20 bill only means $5. We would say, but by what standard are you saying this? By what rules, by what monetary system, what authority are you using to make such a decision? You see, there's some standards by which all of us operate that says right is right and left is left and a mile is a mile and a foot is a foot and up and up is down and down and, and the reality of the matter is that all of life submits to some sort of authority or standard. And so authority can be defined as the power or the right to determine, control, command, judge, or prohibit the actions of others. They came to Jesus and they said, you're, you're teaching by what authority are you teaching these things? What, what law, what system, what, what governing force by which are you submitting to and which you are teaching these things? What authority are you following? And then the follow-up question was, they understood that only someone in charge can make the rules because they said, well, who gave you this authority? Only someone who is in charge can make the rules. And this is what bugged the religious authorities because whenever Jesus taught as is shown to us in Matthew 7, after the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us someone who had authority. And the Jewish teachers would teach sort of like this. They would establish a principle, and then they would either quote the law, or they would quote a rabbi who had a teaching on the law. But then Jesus comes, and on the Sermon on the Mount, 16 times, he says, the law says, but I say to you. And I say. Well, who are you? Who are you to tell us what it is you think we ought to do? Who gave you that authority? Who gave you the right to command us? In fact, you remember the situation where there were some friends who had a paralytic friend and they lowered him down on the roof to Jesus, down in, in, in the home that was crowded. And the first thing Jesus does is not to heal the paralytic man, but he forgives his sins. And oh, they couldn't stand it. Because in their minds and in their hearts, they're grumbling saying, only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus, he says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, 
I know only God can forgive sins. That's why I did it. But what's going to be easier for you to understand that? The fact that I forgave his sins or maybe for me to do something only God can do. If that's what it's going to take, rise, take up your bed and go home. Only someone in a position of authority has the right, has a position to grant another permission. So you imagine Ricky and I commute to work on a Monday morning and I'm driving 90. I'm driving Ricky's big old blue truck going 90 down Campbell Road. And we get pulled over. And he goes, buddy, you're breaking the speed limit. And I said, I know. I had permission. He's going to say, no, you didn't. But in my story, he's going to say, well, who gave you that permission? I'm going to say, Ricky did. It's his truck. And he said, faster. What's he going to say? He's going to say, he is not in a position to give you the permission to break the rules. I don't care who he is. He can't tell you to break the rules. I can't go to the armed forces today. I cannot go to the police station and make them open up Chick-fil-A. I don't have that authority. I can't call the governor and enforce a rule for them to open up Chick-fil-A today. I can't go to Chick-fil-A CEO and say, open up today. I want a chicken sandwich. I don't have that authority. Only someone who is in a position has the right, has the power in order to give another a position to act. They understood this. Their questions were fair to ask. In fact, brethren, we need these questions. But by what authority are you making this decision? And then who gave you that authority? Where'd you get that from? But then here's the third question, and this is what's really important. They're asking these questions, trying to trap Jesus, and then Jesus elevates the understanding of their questions with the third question. Jesus reveals that ultimately there are just two sources of authority because he said the baptism of John, was that from heaven or was that from men? Stumped him. Because Jesus, <clears throat> through John's teachings, was elevated as the Lamb of God. His baptism was prepared to prepare people, prepare people for Jesus. And so if they said it came from heaven, well, then why don't you believe in him? And why don't you believe in Jesus? But if they said it from men, then a lot of people are going to be upset because, as the passage revealed, there's still a lot of people who highly regarded John. But do you see Jesus' point? Ultimately, there are two sources of authority, God or man. And really, when we boil it down to a very individual way of looking at it, there's two sources. I'm either submitting to God's will, or Scripture would say that there are some who are self-willed. That's not self-driven like a self-starter. That is someone whose mind and will and plan is governed by me and me alone. I'm either going to do what I want to do, or I'm going to do what it is that God has commanded me to do. So it's God's will or my will. Now, just stop for a minute. Stop. We've got a couple places we're going to go. It's kind of a Frankenstein sermon. we got a lot of different parts, and it's not going to flow nice and neat. But I want you to at least to appreciate right here. Who has a right to determine who can get married today and define what marriage is? Who, who has a right to determine life, what defines life, where life begins, and what one may do regarding life at all forms of its infancy and weakness and development along the way? Who, who has a right? What do we do with them? What, what, what must one do to be saved? How do we know drunkenness is a sin? Or that lying is wrong? As a church, does it matter? Does it matter how we worship? I mean, why can't we? Why can't we just add on a building for 
for food and fun and entertainment and social events. Why can't we roll a piano up here or let women preach? I bet women would out-preach us men 10, 10 to 1. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? Heaven or men? And every decision we make, brethren, it goes back to those three questions. Whether it's me and my own walk with God or collectively as a local congregation striving to please the head, Christ, by what authority are we doing what we're doing and who gave us that authority? Now, here's a picture of why this matters. I want to go long before this, back in the book of Genesis chapter 11. Let's look at an illustration of why this matters. Because in Genesis 11, we see a picture of why the submission to God's authority is such a great deal and a big deal to God, and it ought to be a great and big deal to us. The Tower of Babel is what we're finding here in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis 11, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let's build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let's make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they have all the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. You see what's going on here? I believe sometimes one of the maybe more simpler and I believe incorrect understandings of this is God was nervous that they were going to build a building that was going to reach heaven. If God did not stop the astronauts from going to the moon, I do believe they went to the moon. <laughs> I'm not so sure he's going to be so concerned about a building made of brick and mortar reaching up into the sky. That's not the issue. Verse 1, they're all together. They're speaking the same words and in verse 2 is our, is our issue. It came about as they journeyed east, they found a place in the land of Shinar. There's two words that define the issue of what's going on. See, in the very beginning, God commanded Adam to go and to fill the earth. Fill the earth in one sense certainly was the idea of having multiple children, but the other idea was to fill it entirely, to spread abroad and to fill the earth with its people. In fact, when Noah and Mrs. Noah and the children got off the ark, he repeated the same thing in Genesis 9 and verse 1, to fill the earth. Well, look at the two words in our context and see what's going on here. In verse 4, their fear was that they would be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That's God's plan. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to scatter and, and, and to populate the earth. And so God's plan was to be scattered, and verse 2, they found the land and they settled. You see our words? God's plan was to scatter. They said, we're going to settle. We're not going anywhere. We're staying put. And not only did they say, I, I know God wants us to spread out and to spread over the earth. We're not going to do that. Not only did they simply not listen to God, 
they decided to build a monument to their pride. We're staying put despite what God says. We're going to build a tower that shows you we can do whatever it is we want to do. Because they wanted to make a name not for Jehovah God, not for the creator, but a name for themselves. Thus God scatters them with his language. Babel means an unintelligent form of communication. God scatters them, creates diversity of language, and enforces his will. But, but do you see authority here? Authority is about recognizing who is in charge. That's what authority is. Because in their quest to make a name for themselves and their delusion about their unified strength, they had lost sight of who God was. And in a moment, what took them perhaps years to build in that tower, God put an end in an instant. Authority is about recognizing who is in charge. And God's right to be able to tell you and I, no matter who it is we are, either if we're Christians or not, God's right to command every single person and tell them how it is they ought to live is written in the fact that he is the one who is before all, above all, greater than all. In fact, he is the reason for all. And so it doesn't matter if someone believes in God or not, or is a Christian or not, or attends somewhere on this Sunday morning or not. God has a right to tell everyone how it is they ought to live simply because of who he is. But this gets even deeper for us because we're not talking about our neighbors today. We're talking about you and I. And you and I are Christians. Which means when we made that great confession, Romans 10 and verse 9, which Peter pointed to in Acts 2, we didn't simply say, I confess that Jesus is my Savior and he died for me. He is the Christ, but he is Lord. Lord in Christ. Lord is master, which means master has the right, the authority to command, to give rules, to exact, and to demand obedience. Paul would make the point in 1 Corinthians 6, you're not yours anymore. You were bought with a price. And thus, it's not our name by what saves us. We're not saved because of our name, and brethren, we're not saved because of the name that's on the sign on the street. There's one name that saves us, and it's his name, Christ's name, which is why Paul would say, in everything that we do, we do it in Christ's name. That doesn't mean we tag it on to him and say, I'm doing this for you. It means I'm doing it through your authority, under your permission, by your guidance, following your rules. That's what that means. When we lose sight of who he is and who I am, we get in big trouble. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2 says, God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. Listen more than you speak. Obey more than you seek your own will. And so authority is about recognizing who is in charge. But authority then is also about following the rules because it's one thing to recognize who is in charge and it's another thing to submit to who is in charge. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't agree with it, even if I don't understand it, it is bending my will to the one who is in charge. I think the problem for a lot of people is, and the mantra for a lot of people, is what has been repeated over and over and over again from that statement in the end of the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel. And it wasn't that there wasn't a king. Oh, they had a sovereign Lord in Israel. But the fact that they did not recognize God as their king led to the conclusion that they did whatever it is they wanted to do. And when we refuse to listen to King Jesus and saying, we're going to do whatever it is what we think is best, and we will. We will do whatever it is we judge right in our own eyes. So, I believe what this leads us to, to draw all of this to a conclusion, is at least this. 
there's two ways of reasoning. As we go about trying to decide what is right, the right thing to do, the right path to follow, either as, a, as an individual Christian following God or as a collective assembly, there's really two ways of reasoning, of finding out what is right from what is wrong that we ought to avoid, and the first of which is desire, that I really want this. I really think this is good. I think this is a good path. I see the good that can come out of this, and oftentimes how this is reasoned is, I just don't see how this could be wrong. I don't see how God could find any fault in this. I'm not talking about anything that's devious or evil. I, I don't see how God could disapprove, how God cannot find any kind of good or glory in the thing that I am seeking, desiring to do. We need to be really careful, brethren. There's a big difference between looking to the Word of God to prove my point and looking to the Word of God to let God speak and to say whatever it is He intended to say. You see, there's a way that can seem right. It can seem so right to you and I. That's all we see. I, I, I cannot see, I cannot possibly see how this could be wrong. I cannot possibly see any way that God cannot be pleased with it, but that doesn't make it right. In fact, as Jeremiah said, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his steps. In other words, while I may not see it, that's possibly because... I'm not infinite in knowledge and understanding. In fact, there's many things about myself I am weak and blind to. I don't need to lead my own steps. I need God to direct my steps. And so I don't need to reason from desire, and I also don't need to reason from the ends. Because look at the good that could come out of this. Look at all the people we could help. Look how much closer we could be. Look how many people we could fill in the pews and all the ways we could reason from the ends. And that didn't really work so well with King Saul. Because when God told King Saul to kill all of the Amalekites and everything that belonged to the Amalekites, and yet he spared the king and some of the animals in order even to worship God. How could God not like this? I'm going to worship him with the things that I spared. He was told by the prophet Samuel, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. That the ends don't justify the means. What I want is not what you believe is best. What I want is your obedience. I want you to listen to me, and I want you to follow me. In fact, sometimes we go to a passage like 2 Timothy 3. Paul reveals in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We say, that that's, that's what I'm talking about. I know the word of God says to love my neighbor as myself, and I know the word of God says even to love my enemies. And, and the scripture points us to the example of Jesus who served and cared for others. That's what I'm talking about. I just want to do good works. Why does all these rules that you have established say that these matters? Look at the people we're helping. Don't point me to rules. Look at all the good we can do. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on. Because the companion passage, if you will, the 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, comes out of Hebrews 13, beginning verse 20. The writer would conclude his writer by saying this. Now, now, the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice the similarities between these passages? That they both talk about the work of God to equip his people. And not just to equip them, but to equip them with the goal to be active in good works and the good things. But did you notice how the Hebrew writer establishes what means, what good means? The good works are to do his will, not my will. God's way, not my way. 
so that at the end of the day, I'm doing what is pleasing in his sight, not what is pleasing in my sight. It's good works, but what God defines. There's a lot of ways you can look at this, because in our minds, we might have the idea of what good means. But I'll tell you, there's a vast difference between what man reasons is right and good and what God declares is right and good. There's a vast difference between supporting an orphan's home and throwing money into a plate or living out James 1.29 and giving that child what it really needs, and that is a home, a family. There's a big difference between building a building for entertainment and quote-unquote fellowship versus striving for genuine fellowship of the Spirit, people who are united on truth. There's a difference between doing things my way and doing things God's way. Just because I can see the good doesn't mean how we get there is right. So the way of reasoning to pursue, just the beginning place. I know this is very broad and generic. We'll come back to this at different points of the year. But at least two places to begin. If I'm going to pursue, first of which must be biblically. It must be biblically. That perfect pattern, if you will, from Acts 17, that when these disciples were listening to the teaching of Paul, they reasoned from the word of God daily to see if the things were taught were so. Now listen for a moment. This is for us. Don't strive to be new. Let's not strive to be innovative. Let's not strive to be different or to think outside the box. Let's not strive to be traditional, to hold the things that were once taught and held by certain people at certain positions. Let's just strive to be biblical. There's a profound difference between every time when I open up the God, uh, open up the Word of God, I learn something new and I see something new, versus coming to the Word of God intending to see something new, to reinterpret this Word in order to see something different from those who are around me. There's such an arrogance in some people today to say, I just want to be different. I want to be novel. I want to come at this so different and impress people with a new way of looking at the Scripture. Let's not strive to be new. Let's not strive to be different. Let's just strive to be biblical. And thus, if we're going to teach and we're going to preach, if we're going to make a decision, let's make sure everything we're speaking comes from God's words. Speak the oracles of God. This might help us catch ourselves. Instead of I think, well, I believe, the word of God says. Thus says King Jesus. Speak the oracles of God. And then secondly, think humbly. Think humbly. James says if we're going to receive the word of God, the apt attitude that ought to fill the heart is humility. Because a pride-filled heart, an arrogant heart, will see what it is it wants to see. Will prove what it is it wants to prove. Will stand where it is it wants to stand. Will twist the scriptures to believe whatever it is that person wants it to believe or to say. But the humble heart comes to learn. The humble heart is slow and cautious to draw conclusions. The humble heart simply wants to know God, to know his will, and to honor and glorify him. I'm not looking to the word of God to prove my point. I'm simply looking to the word of God to know him, to know his will, and to follow him all the more perfectly. There was a scene, you remember, when Jesus called Peter and James and John. 
And he revealed that to them. He revealed how he was who he claimed to be, the glorious son of God on the mountain. There before Peter, James, and John, Jesus shone bright like the sun. And if that wasn't enough, in his presence appeared the representation of the law and the prophets themselves, Moses and Elijah. It's an incredible scene. Well, Peter overwhelmed with what's going on, thinking he knew the right thing to do, spoke so quickly and said, Lord, shall we provide three tabernacles, three tents for you? Oh, won't Jesus be impressed with this? I'm the one who came up with this. I'm the one who suggested it. Surely he's going to elevate me. Shouldn't we make three tents for you? Not realizing that to put Jesus on the level of Moses and Elijah does not know who Jesus is. And so he thought he was doing something good, something noble, something thoughtful. But while he was speaking, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's not assume something is right or wrong. Let's not guess if what it is we are doing is approved by God or not. And brethren, we don't speak for Jesus. We listen to him. We listen to him. And everything we do Listen to the sun. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.